you're a visitor, we are looking uh, on Sunday mornings at the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And this is a book where God's people are looking for a leader. The leader God gives them is a man called David. David is God's anointed or his Messiah or his Christ. Those are all different translations of the word anointed one. And in recent weeks, we've been looking at the contrast between two kingdoms. The kingdom of David, God's anointed one, and the kingdom of Saul, who's opposing God's anointed one. So we have the kingdom of Christ in the person of David at this time in history, and the kingdom of Antichrist, Saul, who's opposing David. And last time, we saw what it is like in Saul's kingdom. We saw that it's a place ruled by selfish ambition and desire for power. And it's also full of the fear and the paranoia and the hatred that go along with selfish ambition. But this morning, we're going to have a glimpse into the other kingdom, the kingdom of God's king. We're going to look together at 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 295. Or in the large print, the black covered Bibles, that's page 453. And before we read this, be aware that the key word in this passage is the word hand, or sometimes hands in the plural. It doesn't always appear in our English translations, but in Hebrew, the word hand occurs nine times in this chapter. And in the Bible, hands represent power. Our passage is going to mention a few different hands. In other words, there's a struggle for power going on. And the question is, whose hands are going to prevail? Whose hands are the strong, safe hands? That's the question here. 1 Samuel 23. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Calah against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Calah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Calah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Calah. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Calah. Saul was told that David had gone to Calah, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. David said, Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Calah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Calah surrender me to him? 
Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Cala surrender me and my men to Saul? The Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Cala and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Cala, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakilah, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he is very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area... I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamelikoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. This is God's word. Last week, in chapter 22, we watched Saul as he carried out a slaughter of innocent people. Because Saul believed that the priests in Israel had sided with David, Saul had the whole town of the priests put to the sword. Eighty-five priests and their families were slaughtered. Now, for reasons that I'll explain later, it seems that while Saul was arranging that slaughter, David was doing what we read in the first five verses of chapter 23. In other words, the middle of chapter 22 and the beginning of chapter 23 actually took place at the same time. And the two events show us a significant contrast between these two kingdoms. In chapter 22, we saw a king motivated by his own interests. 
And that led to the slaughter of the people of Nob. People who were supposed to be under Saul's care. But here, chapter 23 opens with David motivated by the interests of God's kingdom. And what that leads to is the salvation of the people of Calah. And these are people who at least officially David has no responsibility for. Saul should be protecting these people. But Saul is too busy destroying another town that he should have been protecting. And the difference here is that Saul is guided by his own desire for power. While David is guided by God. And that guidance leads him, first of all, into battle. David is led into a battle he has no official duty to fight. Look again at verses 1 and 2. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Calah. Calah is an Israelite town. It's about three miles from Adullam, which is where David has been staying, in the caves there. Calah is also pretty close to Philistine territory. So it's an isolated, vulnerable target for the Philistines to pick off. And normally the people of Calah could expect their king to come and help them. But as we've just seen, their king is too busy imagining conspiracies against himself and trying to destroy imaginary conspirators. But David hears that Calah is under attack and he feels a responsibility for these people. David may not be on the throne of Israel, but he has a heart for Israel and for Israel's people. And in this situation, David does something that Saul did not do in chapter 22. David inquires of the Lord. He looks to the Lord for direction and guidance, and he receives it. We're not told exactly how God responds to David. We might wonder, was it through the prophet Gad? We know that Gad is with David and that he's a prophet. And we know that he has brought God's word to David before. And maybe he speaks for God again here. But whatever way God's response comes to David, the important point is that God does respond. He guides David. It's easy for you and me, if we're Christians, to forget how life in God's kingdom is so different from life outside his kingdom. And one major difference is that we are not left to rely on our own wits. It's all very well for Frank Sinatra to sing, I did it my way. And everyone loves that song. But what happens when life gets difficult? What happens when you don't know what to do? In times like those, there's not much comfort in being left to do it your way. And similarly, it's all very well for William Ernest Henley to write in his poem Invictus, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
But what happens when you don't know which course to steer? It sounds grand being captain of your own soul. But in many situations, there is nothing more lonely and frightening. The man or woman who believes they're captain of their own soul can feel like a little cup floating in a vast ocean at the mercy of every wave that comes along, not knowing where the next wave is going to come from. That's how it is in Saul's kingdom. God is neither consulted nor is he heard from in Saul's kingdom. But things are so different for David. Yes, he's homeless, moving from cave to cave. But he is not like a cup bobbing alone on the ocean. David turns to God and he hears from God. Let's never forget what a privilege we have as God's people. Now we may not hear from David exactly the same, hear from God exactly the same way David did. But we have in our hands today the living word of God. As we read this word, God's Spirit speaks to us through His Word. If we belong to Christ, we do not have the terror of believing everything rests on our own wisdom or our own quick thinking. We know that we're guided by the one who all at once sees the beginning and the end of time and all the bits in between. As we go through life, God's word is a reliable lamp for our feet and light for our path. Now that is not to say, of course, that God always guides us into calm waters. There will be times when God leads us into the waves. But the key point is that we're not alone in the waves. We sang that earlier. That's the reality for David here. God guides him at this point into battle. And his men immediately throw up their arms in protest in verse 3. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? We've noticed before David's men are not SAS standard. They might not even be neighborhood watch standard. They're vagabonds and misfits and people in distress who've come out to join him in the desert. And these men realize their inability. They said, be realistic, David. The Philistines are a fighting force. We're not able to take them on. And of course, they're right. But they're missing the point, which God explains in verse 4. Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. God knows the inadequacy of these men. But their inadequacy is really beside the point. 
Look how God gives them a command and then immediately follows that command up with a promise. The command is, go down to Calah. And the promise is, I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. God knows their inability to take on this mission. But they're to go on the mission because he will give them victory. And the application for us is God will never guide us into a situation unless he's going to supply what we need in the situation. Now the command to, to us today is not go to Kayla. It's a different command given to us by Jesus. Go into all the nations making disciples. And alongside that frightening command, we have promises from King Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. When God commands us into battle, he gives us the promises we need to be confident in battle. So we must be very careful never to isolate the commands from the promises. Without the promises, the commands are too difficult. They're way too difficult. Today, we're called not to struggle against the Philistines, but the New Testament tells us to struggle against the devil's schemes. We're called into battle with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that is a frightening call if we take it seriously. It's frightening unless we also hear God's promise to give us his mighty power and to give us all of the armor that we need. So when we hear God's commands in Scripture, let's be careful to look for the promises that go with those commands. God will never guide us into battle or into difficulty without supplying what we need to win the battle or to persevere through the difficulty. Now I realize when we talk about guidance from God, we're not usually thinking about God's commands. That's not the kind of guidance we usually get excited about. The kind of things we want to know are who should I marry? What career should I go after? What job should I take? Those kinds of things. But the Bible is more interested in guiding us through God's commands. And what we'll find is that as we follow God's commands, as we work out how to obey his commands in our particular situation, then the other stuff will tend to fall into place. So don't get hung up waiting for God to tell you which subject to choose or which house to buy. Focus on obeying God's commands in Scripture today, where you are right now, and the other stuff will take care of itself. Well, after the battle at Kayla is over, David is joined by Abiathar the priest. If you were here last week, you may remember that Abiathar was the only priest who survived Saul's slaughter at the town of Nob. 
Eighty-five were killed, one escaped. And verse 6 tells us that Abiathar joined David at Keilah after the battle there. And that's why we can be pretty sure Saul's attack on Nob was happening at the same time David was saving Keilah. And we're told in verse 6, Abiathar brings the ephod with him. What was that? Well, all of the priests wore an ephod. It was like an all-in-one linen suit. But there was also a special ephod worn by the high priest. And that ephod had a breast piece or a breast plate with precious stones mounted on it. And that seems to be the ephod that Abiathar took with him when he escaped. And the reason it's important to the story here is because God had given the ephod to Israel as a means of communicating with him. We're not completely sure how that worked. It seems there was a pouch in the ephod with two different colored stones. And for a limited time in Israel's history, God communicated yes or no answers through those stones. So the person decided beforehand which stone would represent yes and which one would be no. Then they would draw one out while in prayer, and that was the answer, assumed to be from God. Now, it wasn't magic Chapter 28 will tell us that Saul tried to inquire of the Lord this way, but we're told the Lord did not answer him. So clearly there was more to this than just drawing stones out of a bag. Somehow Saul knew that God was not participating in the process. Whatever answer he was getting wasn't from God. In any case, God is willing to communicate with his anointed king through the ephod. He does answer David. That's what happens in the next section of our passage. Apparently after he's chased off the Philistines, David doesn't leave Keilah straight away. And verse 7 tells us, Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. And he said, God has delivered him into my hands. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And David called up all, Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Remember, Saul has just finished killing 85 of God's priests. And so it's very hard to see how he believes that God is on his side. But we're told that he calls up all of his forces for battle. Back in chapter 15... Saul's forces included at least 200,000 foot soldiers. So assuming he's got some kind of similar numbers here, this is like trying to crack a peanut with a sledgehammer. In chapter 22, David had 400 men. Here, verse 13 tells us that number has now grown to 600. But that doesn't really affect the balance of things very much. This is an incredible mismatch. Except that David has the benefit of God's guidance. And so we're told, even as Saul is marching towards Keilah, God is guiding David through the ephod to run for the hills. Apparently the people of Keilah have heard what Saul did to Nob. They've probably heard it from Abiathar, who's just arrived. 
And even though David has just saved them from the Philistines, these people fear the hand of Saul. And they're willing to hand David over to Saul. But David is guided by God out of the enemy's hands. Verse 13. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him. But God did not give David into his hands. Sometimes, as Christians, we can be very naive. We can forget that we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to devour us. The Bible calls him the devil. But sometimes we forget about him. We forget that he is at work every day to tempt us and cause us to fall. And so again and again, we are unprepared for the devil's attacks. And he succeeds. We fall to his temptation. But the Bible is here to guide us out of the hands of our enemy. If we pay attention to the Bible, we'll be like the Apostle Paul. Paul was able to say, we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. In other words, we know what he's like. We know what he's up to. We know his tactics. And we're prepared for him. For example, Ephesians tells us that letting anger take root in our hearts gives the devil a foothold in our hearts. So we're forewarned that if we stroke our anger and pet it, then we are opening the door for the devil. We're saying to him, come on into my life. Make yourself at home. Have your way in my life. Destroy my relationships. But God's word, if we'll listen to it, will guide us out of the enemy's hands. It will guide us away from things that will defeat us and ruin us. That was David's experience with his flesh and blood enemy here. David listens to God's guidance and he responds to it. He clears out of time. And verse 14 says, Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. David's experience with Saul is relevant for us as we face the enemy of our souls. Every day he's searching for us to devour us. But we have God's guidance. And his guidance is guidance into life. When we begin to see that, we can see why the Apostle John said, his commands are not burdensome. They're not spoiling our fun. They enable us to overcome the world, John says. So forget about doing it my way. God's way leads to life. Well, during these years in the wilderness, and they are years, hiding out in caves, David is not only guided by God, he is also strengthened in God. Look at verse 15. 
While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Saul is so obsessed with David that he's coming after him again and again. Every time he gets a new report of where David is, Saul's back on the chase, dragging his army behind him. But somehow in the middle of it all, Jonathan manages to get to David. And even though Jonathan is Saul's son, David knows he can trust him. These two men, we've seen before, are united in their commitment to seek God's kingdom, not their own little kingdoms. And verse 16 says, literally, Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. We've noticed that the key word in this chapter is hand. Saul is hoping David will fall into his hands. And the strength of Saul's hand is his big army. And his scary reputation as a ruthless man. But David finds his strength in God. And I think it's important to realize this does not seem to have come easily for David. We know from the Psalms he wrote at this time, there were dark days during this period of his life. David is not a bouncy irrepressible optimist. I don't think scripture presents David as a jovial man. He didn't just laugh off the enemies who are constantly on his tail. That kind of constant opposition grinds people down. And so David needed his friend Jonathan to come and strengthen his hand in God. Or as the NIV says, to help him find strength in God. How does Jonathan do that? He reminds David of God's promise. You shall be king over Israel. In David's situation, the only thing that can make him strong is the promise of God. And it's just the same with us. The world around us tells us we'll find strength by searching for the hero inside ourselves. Digging deep. Finding our inner Rocky. Or whoever has replaced Rocky. Maybe Bear Grylls. That's great in movies and songs. It's great in staged reality shows. But that doesn't work in real life. When life is difficult, we do not have adequate strength inside ourselves. We are not going to find a hero in here. We find strength by looking to God. Our strength comes from a source that is outside of us. It comes from the God who made us and who holds us in his hand. Earlier, Annette read Psalm 54. It's a psalm that David wrote around this time. 
And in that psalm, after mentioning the arrogant foes and the ruthless people who are after him, David says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. That's why Jonathan came to David in the wilderness. He didn't come all that way to give him a hug or a box of his favorite chocolates. Jonathan came out into the desert to point David back to the promises of God. One writer sums up the point for us here. He puts it like this. We best encourage not by being cuddly with people, but by reminding them of the promises of God. Encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the Word of God. Encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the Word of God. That has never changed. Now maybe we worry about being trite if we just bring God's Word to people. But in my experience and I know in some of yours, when we're sinking in some storm of our lives, God's word is not trite. It's not corny. It comes as a lifeline to us. It gives us strength. How many of us, when we have been sinking, have found strength through the words of Psalm 121? I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Or what about the New Testament promise that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all? None of our trouble ever seems light when we're underneath it. But we have God's word, God's promise, that the glory ahead of us is infinitely more substantial than all of our troubles here. Well, it's a very good thing that Jonathan reminded David of God's promise. Because after Jonathan goes home, A new situation comes along that really does seem to be the end for David. We've seen that the people of Kayla were prepared to hand David over to Saul. But now the people of Ziph make a full-scale effort to hand David over. Look at verse 19. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh? On the hill of Hakila, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. Again, these people are Israelites, but they are siding with Saul, presumably because they fear the hand of Saul. And with their help, the next verses tell us, Saul eventually tracks David down. And verse 26 picks up at the point just where David and his men are about to get overrun. Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. 
as Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. David is saved by the Philistines. Maybe Saul thinks he won't get away with ignoring yet another Philistine attack. Maybe that's why he goes. Or maybe this is an especially strong raid by the Philistines. Whatever the reason, Saul and his men leave. God has used Israel's enemies to deliver his anointed king. This incident shows us the invisible hand of God. On the face of it, This is unlucky timing for Saul. David was just there. And on the face of it, this is very lucky timing for David. He wouldn't have got away otherwise. But the Bible tells us there's no such thing as luck. David is in God's hands, and God can even use his enemies to deliver David. When you and I belong to the same God, we are in safe hands. That's why the promises of God are so powerful. Because those promises are backed up by the God who can even use his enemies to fulfill his promises. That's why the Apostle Paul can say this to those who belong to King Jesus. I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we're with God, following God's King, then we are in safe hands. We can say, be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Maybe you're here this morning and you have felt the despair of trying to be captain of your own soul. Well, there is a way forward out of despair. Jesus died to free you from the sin and slavery of doing it your way. Jesus came to lead you into life. A life in the safe hands of your maker. I would encourage you to come to him. And you can join us in singing, Be still, my soul. Not because there's a hero inside of me, but because the Lord is on my side. We're going to sing, Be still, my soul. And then we'll close with God's promise that one day we will be with our King forever.